0: Hello listeners, welcome back to the Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program If this is your first time listening My name is Christine Kim And I am the host of this program Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries waits for your participation for a listener survey. Your opinion is highly valued. All gathered information will be for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, and it will go towards our ministry's efforts to share the gospel. You may participate by completing the questionnaire survey delivered to your address, or go online at www.hardandsoul.org Our return address for the paper survey is one two eight zero two. North 28th Drive, Phoenix, Arizona, 85029. The survey ends on November 30th. We wait for your participation and thank you for your input. A few weeks ago, I was at church on Friday night, and that particular night I remember praising and worshiping with more passion and wholeheartedly than I usually do. It is usually very touching and warms my heart to see that the church comes together is one to praise Him. It seems as if we are practicing in advance what we would do in heaven. I often think, when I come to church and meet these people, am I aware that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ? To explain a bit further, what I mean by this is, do I think and am I fully aware that this person is a brother and sister in Christ that Jesus also died and sacrificed His life for? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. And also says in Romans chapter 14, verse 15, If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. As it's told to us in these passages, we should be aware and have a complete realization that our brothers and sisters in Christ are also valuable people and souls that have been placed into our lives by the sacrifice of Jesus. If you think of these passages really carefully, we are all precious souls that Christ has paid for by His blood. We are not people who can be treated carelessly. Thinking further, how are we treating our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom Christ also died for? Are we treating them as the precious blood of Jesus? If we have been treating them without love and without care, then isn't this the same as treating the blood of Christ in the same manner? I want us to take a moment to think about this. We'll come back to share more after our first song. Life gets tough
1: And times get hard And it's hard to find the truth in all the lies
0: Beginning of this year, there was a Japanese journalist named Kenji Goto, who was captured and killed by the IS, which is an Islamic terrorist group. As you may all know, the percentage of Christians in Japan is only 0.5% of the population, which is a very minor group. Because the number is so minute, they have a very close camaraderie with one another. If they realize they are believers in Christ, they welcome and pray for one another and truly show what it means to be happy to meet another brother and sister in Christ. During this time, I was informed that this Japanese journalist, Kenji Goto, was captured and that he needed a lot of prayer. This was when I found out how small and tight the Japanese Christian community was and how valuable his soul was to the community. However, to be honest, it was not easy for me to pray for him right away. I did not personally know him, and just felt like any other distant person from me. But during this time that he was captured, I kept hearing about him, and people kept me informed of his condition, and was slowly bringing me closer to him, though I did not know him. And then I felt my heart growing heavy for him, and I began to think, Kenji Goto, this person who I've never met, but also a child of God through Christ, then of course one day I will meet him in heaven. When the day comes for me to meet him in heaven, what will I say to him? Will I be able to gladly greet myself to him and be happy in heaven? For some reason I had these thoughts run through my head and my heart began to grow heavy. This brother of mine will know in heaven that I did not pray for him knowing his life was at stake here on this earth. The day I meet him in heaven, will I be able to hold his hand and happily greet myself to him? these were the thoughts that I began to have. I felt if if I did not pray for him, then I would not be able to look him in the eyes when meeting him in heaven. So I began to pray. Heavenly Father, you have control of all, and I ask that you may hold on to the life of Kenji Goto. Whether he is released or whether he dies, let your glory be revealed from him. Until this last moment, let his faith not shake, and that he will still be able to confess Christ as Savior. This was how I prayed for Kenji Goto. I continuously prayed this prayer until I heard the news he lost his life. When I first found out that he died, I was sad, but I thought about how happy and at peace he would be in heaven with our loving father and was able to find peace in my heart at the thought about meeting him in heaven and I would no longer be embarrassed to meet him.
2: This world has nothing for me, this life is not my own, I know you go before me and I am not alone, this mountain
3: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is when he appears, part one, based on 1 John 3, one through six. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. 1
4: John, chapter three. I love verse one, where we're starting, of course. Let's read it out loud together. That'll give us all, I'll give you a minute to get there and we'll all be able to experience this text together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, everybody reading good and loud, here we go. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. I love the way this begins. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. One of the things that I've liked to do over the years is to read it with a different emphasis, and you might try that on your own. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Behold, what manner of love, what manner of love, you know, just think about every aspect. That's a great way of meditating upon Scripture is to just take a verse, a phrase, and emphasize the word because it totally gives you a different view of the text. It's like looking at a beautifully cut gem from its different facets Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. The Greek is actually says, Behold what kind of an alien love. The idea is this is not a love from this world. And this is not the kind of love that you're going to ever find in this life from some human being. This is a love that comes from outside this planet. It's a love that comes from God. This is alien now, aliens, sometimes we think, ooh, 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 right? You think of little green people. I guess we know they're not living on Mars, at least above ground, right? They might be underground stuff. But this love of God is alien in that there is nothing as good as this on this planet. Just remember with me that God's love is unconditional. Everybody loves us on some terms of, there's some terms involved, there's condition attached. Well, you know, as long as you're nice, you can be so obnoxious that even those who love you are having a hard time doing it, right? God never has a hard time loving you. Do you understand that? You are, as a child of God now, this is written to children of God, this is written to the little ones, the little born ones of God, this is written to those who are part of his family, God never has a hard time loving you. God has chosen to set his love on you and nothing ever shakes his love. You understand that? You could be the most obnoxious saint in the world and God will, is still loving you. You cannot dim the sun. The sunshine of his love continues to beat upon us to just and we can bask in it and we just say, oh Lord, thank you for your gracious love love is conditional as long as you act loving you'll be loved as long as you fulfill certain responsibilities you'll be loved as long as as long as and there's always the if attached god loves us unconditionally god loves us immensely god's love is bigger than well paul the apostle says that we should pray that we might begin to measure the, what is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God to be able to, to just try to, to look at the infinite wideness of the expanse of His grace and His love towards us. We'll spend the rest of eternity figuring this out. I have not seen that being told this now will lead me to become a hardened sinner. See, that was the fear when I was growing up in the religious company that I kept. It was that if you told people they were loved by God like this, they'll go out and they'll turn around and they will live like the devil. Does that have that effect on you? When you're told how much, that, and then we didn't talk about how God's love is sacrificial, how he died for us. And we see him on the cross. And I would never, you know, we watched the passion. And I you know, I don't want to overuse the imagery there, but you know how we saw the passion of the Christ. Remember watching it? There is no way that after watching that then and having a relationship with Jesus like you do, that then you could take that nail. And you remember the scene where the nail is there and it comes down into his wrist. There is no way that you could take that nail and then say, I'm going to use this to stab the Lord. Are you kidding? I don't even want to see that nail because I know that nail represents my sin and I would never even approach the Lord with that. You understand what I'm saying? Sin now is like that nail to us. We're saying, Lord, I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. And when we do sin, it's like, oh, yuck. Oh, Lord, I don't want to do this because I realize what it did to you and I realize why you don't want me to. So knowing the love of God, the Apostle John understands this, is not gonna lead you into some kind of a sinful lifestyle. Knowing the love of God is gonna lead you to wanna love God in return. And he's gonna say that in this book. He says, we love him because he first loved us. And that is really how you get people to live a holy life. You know, those of you who are discipling and mentoring other people, might be your children, another man, another woman. You need to understand that the way you get people to live a godly life is the message of God's grace and love. It is not through law and terrors. It is not by banging people over the head with what they have to do. It is by showing them what Jesus has done for them. And then the response is always, I love him because he first loved me. And so if I want to continue to love the Lord, I have to keep falling more and more in love with what with the Lord who has first loved me. Whatever gets your attention gets you. When you drive, I, I'm famous for this. I'm driving on the, and somebody will look over there and I'm I'm going. Bum, 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 bum. What are those things on the road for? There's those other things that make the noise. You know, Dad, uh, that's not the road. Yeah, but look at over these wildflowers, aren't they? Bum, 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 bum. Whatever gets your attention gets you. You'll go the way you're looking, right? And so the Lord knows that, so he's saying, here I am, here I am. When parents are teaching their children to walk, and remember this is written as kind of a, a primer for new believers as well as more mature believers, and it's all about our walk, first John, right? And when you're getting your children to walk, here's your stance. All right, I'm telling you, get up off of your knees and start walking. What's the matter with you, you little kid? You're not walking. I mean, is any, nobody's doing that. This is the stance, right? It's like, come on, come to daddy. Oh, oh,
1: oh. Grab my fingers. Oh,
4: oh, oh. Look, 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 look. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, 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 oh. And then what do you do at the end? What do you do at the end? You pick him up and you're, oh. That is God's heart toward you. Every step he's excited about. He's, yes, 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 yes. Now, when the children get their eyes off, you know how easily they are, what's the word? Distracted. When they look this way, what happens? They go that way, don't they? Keep your eyes on dad or mom. Come on, come on. Or grandma and grandpa. So this is a spiritual truth. We understand it, right? All oh, right, that's only the first phrase. <laughs> Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. He has placed upon us, that we, who are we anyway, should be called the children of God? Well, I can't believe that. So he has to add, what? Behold, what manner of love that has been bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? And I know this is hard for you to believe, but such we are. You really are a child of God. That's your new identity. You aren't whatever sin you're struggling with. That's not your identity. You are a child of God. You think of Old Testament, the woman at the well, you know, the woman caught in adultery. Is that who she's going to be in heaven? The woman, there's a woman caught in adultery. No, she is going to be who? Child of God. It's not going to be doubting Thomas. Child of God. For this reason, see the world doesn't think this way. The world wants to put a an identity on you that is an identity based on what you do. They want to say that you are you know, an exceptional person because of something you have done, or you are a bad person because of something that you have done. The world doesn't understand who we are, that we're children of God. and our, I, That's why we can hang out together, and, and we're not, it's not divided. The church isn't supposed to be divided by the rich church, the poor church, the, this church, the, that church. We're supposed to be just one family in Christ because... We understand that we're all children of God. The ground is so level at the cross. It's not based on a bank account. It's not based on an ethnic background. It's not based on who we hang out with or what area of town we live in. Our commonality is Christ. Our, our fellowship is in him. Otherwise, we wouldn't have fellowship. But because we're in him, it's like Jesus is so awesome and so huge that really Jesus is enough to have in common. He'll be enough for eternity. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. Beloved, verse 2. Now we are, present tense, children of God, and it has not appeared yet what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be what? Like Him. Because we shall see Him just as He is. Those are powerful words. And everyone who has this hope of the appearing, right? Isn't that what the hope is? Everyone that has this hope fixed on him, and the him is Jesus, everybody who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. The Bible says that Jesus appeared, and it says it three times here in this passage, that Jesus appeared in this, in this chapter. He appeared, and he's going to appear. He appeared in order that he might take away our sins. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil, and he's going to appear to take us home to be with him, and we are going to be just like him. The New Testament church lived in the expectation that the Lord Jesus Christ could return it any day. They were living in that joyous expectation. They were healthy Christians, and healthy Christians and healthy churches still will be found looking for their Lord's return. Sick Christians forget Jesus is coming back soon. Christians who aren't looking for the Lord's return fall into all sorts of problems because they're not looking at Jesus. They're not looking for him to return. It's a blessed hope. The Holy Spirit, obviously, when he inspired the scriptures, bringing this to our attention because over 300 times in the scriptures, in the New Testament scriptures, the return of Jesus Christ is mentioned. That's a lot, 300 times. Jesus promised he's going to return. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. When he appears. It's not if, right? Do You see that in verse 2? We know that when he appears, we're going to be like him. It's not if, it's when. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, John is probably thinking of the promise that Jesus gave them. When he and the other disciples were gathered around the Lord, they were very bummed out because Jesus was talking about leaving. And Jesus says, but don't let your heart be troubled. John 14, I'm sure you know this, but let's turn anyway, because I love looking in the Bible. This is what it's all about. We're fed by God's word. John 14, 1, Jesus says, now, don't let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Trouble, being troubled by something is something we allow. And he's saying, let not. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for who? Yeah. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return again. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is promising to come back. He's going to come back again soon. And it's not going to be in some kind of a mystical, spiritual second coming like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, Well, the Lord returned in 1914, is that it? Or I don't know what the date was supposed to have been that he returned. Well, where? When? I didn't, did anybody see him? No, it was a spiritual return. And only those with spiritual eyes can see it. Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to return and you're going to be with me. And lest there be any misunderstanding, Acts chapter 1, let's just look at it for a second. Is no spiritual return that people aren't going to know about. He's going to come back literally and physically. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, after Jesus had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight, and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, you know, here they are staring into the sky. All of a sudden, two guys appear, and they're in white clothing beside them, and they said, and I wonder if the, guy, the disciples jumped about two feet in the air because they're staring, there, and all of a sudden, these two guys are there, and they're going, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Now, this doesn't preclude the rapture of the church. We understand that the rapture of the church, the Lord catches us up to be with him. We avoid the great tribulation based on the promises of Revelation chapter three, where the Lord says that he hasn't destined us for wrath, but for salvation. We understand the rapture, we gotta be with the Lord during the great marriage supper for the seven years. And then we come back though with the Lord in with him Revelation 19, in the clouds, he comes back, every eye sees him, he comes with great glory and power and majesty, subdues the the armies of the world and establishes his kingdom upon the earth. It's not a secret thing that's a spiritual thing that nobody can see, it is a glorious appearing and he's promised that. And we're supposed to have this personal, this, this hope in Jesus' personal promise of coming back literally and physically, and he's coming back soon. He says, no, I can't tell you the exact date, and I don't want you to have a date because in everybody who's not, it's not even close people say, you know how procrastinating we are, right? They say, well, the Lord isn't coming for 30 years, so I can, <laughs> you know. Well, let's do it. Let's forget about that because we, you know, we would be saying, well, you know, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't, but I'm sure there's some people who would be saying, well, you know, because the Lord is coming back in 30 years, we could do this and this and this, and and then, you know, we'll in the last three months we'll get ready. The Lord is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna tell you the date, but I'm just gonna tell you this, it's soon. You be ready.
5: in the feast Your faithfulness will always shine Now every blessing still to come Let this be our
1: song It is well.
0: to unity in Christ. The English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart & Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you, so if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, please feel free to email us at askhsgm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul Podcast on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics.
3: Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Recently, there have been a number of bizarre incidents that is shocking people around the world. Among them, brutal acts of murder for no apparent reason, kidnapping, raping, and murdering of children in particular that has left the community in great shock. When such events occur, the internet quickly fills with criticism against these criminals. When the sentence for the criminals turns out to be less than expected, the criticism intensifies. When it comes to these particular types of criminals, the overwhelming choice of punishment is the death penalty. The death penalty is a punishment that literally ends the criminal's life. There are three perspectives on the death penalty they are rehabilitationism, reconstructionism, and retributionism. First, the rehabilitationists believe that criminals should never be sentenced to death. This perspective is shared by both Christians and non Christians. Rehabilitationists believe that social rehabilitation. Not punishment of the criminals should be the end result of justice, a world where we could live alongside them. Thus, they prefer to use the term rehab, which is a place that corrects and counsels criminals to live in harmony with the society instead of jail, which would only isolate the criminals. Many humanists who don't believe in sin or evil in any form would often support this stance. They claim that the reason why people sin isn't their fault but it's due to genetic or environmental factors that drive him to act out in sinful ways. People do indeed commit acts that are socially unacceptable due to internal and external factors that affect them. Genetic or physiological problems can often be corrected through treatment or medication because education in human relationships as well as consultation can be helpful in treatment. In these cases, the humanists do have a point. Christians who advocate for rehabilitationism support this stance, but for a different reason than the humanists. They claim rehabilitationism is based on Jesus, who encourages peace, tolerance, and forgiveness. For example, in the Bible, Jesus let the woman, caught in adultery, go and sin no more, although the Mosaic law mandates her to be stoned to death, on the scene. Christians advocating rehabilitationism claim that the death penalty is a part of the civil law that has been abolished through Christ. Based on this perspective, the cross was the death penalty that all mankind received. Also, many instances in the Bible show God wanting sinners to change rather than killing the sinners. Based on such biblical evidence, many Christians support rehabilitationism and a ban on the death penalty. Moreover, there are claims that society should never choose the death penalty if there is even a small possibility of an innocent person being killed, as the sentence is sometimes applied unfairly. While there are Christians who want a ban on the death sentence, there are also Christians who want to re-establish the death penalty according to the Mosaic laws. This viewpoint is called Reconstructionism. Although not numerous in number, but because these proponents do exist, this perspective will also be shared. Advocates of Reconstructionism believe that the Old Testament civil laws should be applied to all people through all ages. In fact, people who support this idea gathered to establish a political party called the Taxpayers' Party in 1991. Since 1999, This party is now called the Constitution Party and still actively participates in politics. They strongly support the death penalty. In the Old Testament, there are more than 20 crimes that are punishable by death. Murder, rebellion to parents, inflicting harm on a pregnant woman to force miscarriage, worshiping medians and idols, false prophecy, rape, adultery are included on this list. Of course, there are only a very few who seriously attempt to restore this Old Testament law. Even Jesus or the apostles did not restore the Mosaic laws of the Old Testament times. However, just because no death penalty currently exists for these crimes that were punishable by death in the Old Testament era doesn't make the crime no longer a crime. The crimes listed in the Old Testament are still considered crimes today, This is because the law is based on God's unchanging nature. However, we see in the New Testament how Mosaic law from the Old Testament was fulfilled through Christ. Romans 6.14 teaches that the believers are no longer under the law, but under grace. And in Romans 10.4, Paul says that to everyone who believes, Christ is the culmination of the law. If you believe that the Mosaic Law still binds the people today, this is like denying what Christ fulfilled on the cross. Lastly, we will talk about retributionism, which is the belief that the death penalty is a just punishment for certain crimes. Retributionists believe that the main objective of judgment is punishment. They particularly believe that the death penalty is a must for criminals convicted of murder. And their logic is as follows. First, if the death penalty is applied to murderers, it could prevent crimes and reduce the number of people who repeatedly commit crimes to protect innocent lives from being lost. Second, by applying the death penalty to murderers, it not only protects potential victims, but also honors the life of the initial victim. Also, the process doesn't look at the criminal as an animal who is completely dominated by genetic and environmental factors but as a person who is a reasonable and moral being. Finally, they say that the Bible grants the government the right to put violent criminals to death, that God, before the introduction of the Mosaic laws, told Noah to form a governing system where those who spill the blood of others would have their blood be spilled by others as punishment. In the New Testament, after the Mosaic law was abolished, Paul records that the government has the authority to use the sword to discipline those who practice evil for the protection of their citizens, in summary, justifying the use of the death penalty. The Christian's perspective on the death penalty is certainly diverse, as we just shared today. We can't say that only one viewpoint is right over others. However, we live in the New Testament times, so we as Christians should look at all issues rooted in love. Jesus reinterprets the Old Testament laws in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21-48. through 48. In verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. Christians should not delight in the death of criminals. We shouldn't see that as justice because God does not delight in the death of evil men. More importantly, he also didn't sentence us to death, even though we deserve death. But instead, he put his only son, Jesus Christ, to death on the cross. This concludes this week's episode of Christian Ethics.
2: Than the power of the grave, constant in the trial and the change, this one thing.
0: Praying for Kenji Goto was not so that I would feel comfortable to get the burden off my chest. It was because it is so obvious for me to pray for my brother in Christ and because I know that we will meet in heaven and praise and worship Christ together forever. I've seen something very unusual that has been happening within the Korean church community. When a particular church holds a program or event, members from other churches do not attend. Even just a few years ago, if a church was having a revival service, then people from the community and other churches would come and attend and worship together and have fellowship together. Or if a church held a guest speaker event, it wasn't important as to whose church or which church the event took place. Everyone came and attended, and it was very natural for people to have fellowship in this way. But recently, I've started to notice that when churches hold public events, revivals, guest speaker events, or programs, that people hesitate to attend if it is not their own church. And as time goes on, this has been getting worse and worse. But why is this? In my personal opinion, I think the reason might be this. There have been many churches that have had different opinions on different issues, and from that have caused churches to split and separate. Derived from these issues and situations, people feel uncomfortable seeing one another And I think maybe this is why it is harder for the churches to come together as one. Because of the confrontation of different opinions, which result through broken relationships within the church, how are people going to come together and worship and praise God as one? When you see situations like this, you think about how smart Satan can be at times. Because he splits and separates the churches, and what the Spirit brought together, he does in all effort. break it. Are any of our listeners in this situation or have someone around you that may be caught in this situation or know of someone around you that is in an uncomfortable relationship with someone else? Do you often have thoughts that you don't want to go to church or attend a certain event because you don't want to see or run into someone? If so, I would like to ask, if you meet those people in heaven, what will you do then? Those people that you would rather avoid, aren't you going to meet them in heaven anyways? But in heaven, it won't just be us, but it'll be together with Jesus Christ. If we still had these feelings, how embarrassed will we be then? How ashamed will we be of ourselves that we could not love one another? When it's time for you to go to heaven, will you not want to go because that one person you felt uncomfortable with was there also? God paid for the deaths of all of our sins with his precious blood, and even that person. That is why that person is also valuable as Christ's blood. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Because we love each other Anyone who does not love remains in death Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him This is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters These are the very words of 1 John chapter 3, verse 11-16 through 16. As we deeply meditate on these words that God has given us I hope we may carefully look upon ourselves as we will now wrap up unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week and God bless. He
6: is jealous for me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of His wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us, oh, oh How He loves us How He loves us all For me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree bending me The weight of his wind And mercy us, oh, oh, how he loves us, how he loves us, oh.